Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Could all be seated. Welcome everyone joining us online and in person. I'm just going to give you a moment to spend some time centering ourselves to hear from the Spirit and the Word. And when those two things come in confluence, the, the power of God is palpable. The presence of God is palpable. So let's exhale just all the automatic, ruminating thoughts that might be weighing you down this week or to the end of this year and bring it to the feet and the house of God. And inhale the presence of God and the transcending peace that He promises that when we supplicate our anxieties, November 13th, Sarah Young, Jesus Calling. I am Christ in you, the hope of glory, the one who walks beside you, holding you by your hand, is the same one who lives within you. This is a deep, unfathomable mystery. You and I are intertwined in an intimacy involving every, every fiber of your being. The light of my presence shines within you as well upon you. I am in you and you are in me. Therefore, nothing in heaven or earth can separate you from me. All God's people pray. Amen. So we're back to the series, the Bible Made Simple series, where we explore the Bible's, like last time I spoke, its limitations meaning it can be leveraged in very poor ways and, you know, leverage toxins, cultural aberrations that make culture poorer and the church more self-righteous. We talked about that. Today, uh, I want to focus on its formation. Why developing a biblical epistemology? Tell someone next to you, epistemology. They're like, what, epistemology? Yeah, that, if you use that, you'll, you won't get it wrong. Epistemology. So epistemology is different from a hermeneutic because epistemology is how you know something is true. Truth claims and how you can reason and grapple with what we call the Bible. Because sometimes a lot of things, people think that the Bible is a book that fell from heaven. When it is not. Now, even the Quran and Mormonism uh, say that their books were written by divine, you know, inter basic intervention. They were verbatim, God spoke it. In the Quran, Gabriel spoke it to Muhammad. Now, now you could believe that, but how do I know that Muhammad wasn't, you know, drinking some, he, he drank some spilled milk, you know, or something he ate for lunch, it tripped him and he had a trip, or he wasn't high on some. I don't know. There's no way to what? Critically examine that, because I have to what? Take by a leap of faith that that is what God did, or that was actually divine. How do I know that? I, there's no way to examine it. There's no critical, empirical way to examine that. And of course, Mormonism, Joseph Smith, he says he had a vision. A moron angel, well, literally a moron angel came and gave him a revelation. But, but how could you, and, and he says, of course, that he's the only one that could read it. How can you examine that? You can't. So you have to, what? Literally, by faith alone, believe that that's something that God did. But when you come to Scripture, 
66 books, and of course, in the Catholic tradition, there are more. When you come to Scripture, it's not just a divinely inspired work. It's also a literary work. And why it's critical to develop an epistemology of the Bible is because you need to know how it was formed, by whom, and why there are 66 books. Did you ever wonder why that number? Ask someone next to you, why 66? Why? Why 66? You're like, oh yes, I never thought about that. Who said 66? Well, God did. Now, then why are some of the books that the apostles used, the apostles used the Septuagint, which is the Hebraic Bible in Greek, translated into Greek, the major language of the Greco-Roman world, because of Alexander Alexander the Great's conquest in the 4 BC, the apostles, when they testify, and when Jesus testifies about the past and scripture, he's talking, he's using the Septuagint, and the Septuagint has the Apocrypha, which the Catholic Church has, which the Protestant Reformation does not include. So therefore, I know I'm starting really hot right now without a natural introduction, but I'm gonna just go for it today. Um, I feel like lecturing because the movie theater is up to 2.30. But anyway, but the Septuagint uses those books that the Protestant Reformation does not include, meaning Jesus uses those words. But we, today in the Protestant tradition, does not. So clearly, there's a human anthropology at play. It's not just divine, divine dictation, Yes, there's divine guidance and divine inspiration, but there is tons of church tradition. It's canonical theism in many ways. The Holy Spirit leading people to think critically about what they have witnessed before them and literally use devices like poetry, narratives, letters. So, if you don't develop a biblical epistemology, what ends up happening, you begin to be formed as a Christian through cultural aberrations. So for example, this is a good case study here. Let's turn to the slide here. So here, this book by Bill Bryson, New York Times bestseller, he says that um, how the mother tongue, English, how and how it got this way. He, he tells a story about one congressman quite seriously, told Dr. David Edwards, the head of the Joint National Committee on Languages, and read it with me, if what was good enough for Jesus Christ, it is good enough for me. And you laugh. But this is exactly why a biblical epistemology is paramount. At least at least a base, tell someone a basic, just a little bit, because little knowledge is dangerous. Now, this congressman seriously believes that, G, that the Bible was written in English. Now, there, there's a myriad of problems with that, but one main problem is that English didn't exist until the 5th and 6th century when white, you know, Anglo-Saxons moved from West Germany and migrated to Great Britain along in the 7th, 8th century with the Vikings, horse-speaking Vikings. And the English you and I know today did not fully emerge until the 15th, 16th century, catalyzed by the introduction of the printing press in London, of course, and the King James Version of the Bible by Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, and of course, the most probably important, the plays of William Shakespeare. Which means, and the problem with what the congressman is saying, is that English didn't exist 1,600 years after Jesus' lifetime. Jesus didn't know English. No one did. In fact, Jesus didn't even speak, mainly his major language, Aramaic, the Semitic Middle Eastern language, which the Tamad says, the Jewish book, the most important book in Jewish life, it was the language spoken by Adam. Jesus spoke Aramaic. 
So therefore, the New Testament is a translation of a translation. Jesus spoke Aramaic to his disciples in their intimate conversations. So therefore, when the disciples translated the Gospels, it's translations from Aramaic to Greek. So it's a translation of a translation. This is why it's so paramount to understand the formation of Scripture that it doesn't come from vacuum. It doesn't come from heaven. It didn't fall from the sky. This is very good news for the seeker. Because it says that the, the history of the church fought critically and grappled with what is how God moved in history. And more importantly, if the congressman knew that Jesus didn't speak English and that he actually spoke Aramaic, that he was actually a Palestinian Jewish rabbi from the Middle East, a baby born in Asia and once sought asylum in Africa, would the congressman think differently if he knew that Jesus actually looked more like Kaman and Johnny in the big sick than he did that, like Brad Pitt in The River Runs Through It. Jesus did not look like this in the Jordan River when he was getting baptized. <laughs> he did not. Jesus <clears throat> was Middle Eastern, a Jewish Palestinian rabbi. Would that affect and impact the congressman's view on migration, on refugees, or even dreamers? Would it affect his view that the Lord he worships, that his savior is actually not Anglo-Saxon? And the Anglo-Saxons did not, and English did not exist in Jesus' lifetime. But his ignorance forms his formation as a Christian. And a lot of times, our ignorance forms our formation. At best, and at worst, cultural aberrations and cultural prejudice. This is why I am an adamant proponent to understanding biblical epistemology for the average Christian. Because if you don't know why the Bible is 66 books, you just, well, it's the Word of God. Tell someone it's the Word of God. And that's like the, the Bible dumper sometimes is the Word of God. The Word of God. And that's it. That's like, you know, it's a straw man. It's the Word of God. But how was, why is it the Word of God? Because it's solo scripture. Scripture alone, the Reformers say. How did the scriptures come to be, though? Someone had it to put it together. The printing press is very important in this idea because a biblical epistemology starts with this. Let's put this, let's put this up. Um, the point here. The Bible, what? First is what? A literary work. As it is much as it is a divinely inspired work, it is a literary work. That's just really a complicated way of saying the Bible is a book. A book has copy editors and you know, proofreading, has marketing, has all kinds of stuff in it, and a printing press, and a whole processes. The author has to think of literary ways to communicate its message. Bible is a book, meaning it's an invention. It has human anthropology. Therefore, you can examine it. So for the seeker, think about this. God is not telling you to throw your intellect out and take a leap and just believe what the Bible says. What does Jesus say to his disciples? In the very beginning, and I say this all the time, come and see. Jesus is inviting his disciples to come and see what they read and heard. If this they can testify to, the scriptures they read. If what is happening around them, investigate. They can investigate and inquire about what is really happening from what they read all their lives. Jesus tells Thomas, come, investigate. Touch my side, my hands, my feet. 
God is not saying throw your mind out the door and believe and and take a leap. It's not the tradition of the church. So if you go here in 2 Timothy, this is the point I would like to make. All scripture, Paul says, is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. But let's focus on just the word scripture there. All scripture. That's useful for teaching. Now, if you read this apart from the contextual understanding of how the Bible is formed, you might think that Paul is talking about this book itself, 2 Timothy. But Paul doesn't know he's writing the Bible. Tell someone, he doesn't know. Tell someone else, he doesn't know he's writing the Bible. You're like, well, really? He didn't know he's No, he didn't know he was writing the Bible. Why? Because it's a second Timothy on it. He's writing to Timothy. Tell someone, Timothy. He's writing to Tim, Timmy. It's like me writing an email to Henry because he had a problem at the church. He goes, Doc, Michelle is, no, I'm kidding. He never said that, Michelle, I'm sorry. That might have happened, but I forgot. But I know. But no, Paul is what? Responding in a letter to a pastor in Ephesus, the first church he planted. Paul did not know he's writing the Bible. Actually, 2 Timothy is not scripture until 382 in the Council of Rome when all the bishops canonized the Bible and the 66 books. Actually, more. The Protestant Reformation changes that later. But so the question here is, how then did 2 Timothy become part of the Bible? Well, someone added to a list. Canon in Greek literally is translated list. So think about this. This literary process is used by the church fathers the patristic period where the early fathers and those representative of the church decided that these works, the canon, are inspired and works of the Holy Spirit. So when you say, well, solo scripture, I believe that the Bible is the Bible and the Word of God. You're not just believing that those printed words are the Word of God. You're putting your trust heavily on what? The church fathers. And if you want to make a case for this, when Paul uses the word all scripture, he's really only referring to the Old Testament, which includes the Apocrypha, which the Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, still has. The one we have, the 66 books in the Old Testament, even the New Testament is the same. One man removed the Apocrypha, named Martin Luther. One man. That man solely held the canon in his hands, the Protestant Reformation, who revolted against the Catholic Church because of its abuses. In many ways, when you pick up the NIV, and we sing it out there in Sunday school, the copy of the NIV, and we sing milk, and you're like, oh, cute, NIV, which is a Zondervan News Corp production, One man, Martin Luther, who also used the Septuagint to translate the King James Version of the Bible, decided himself, and it's kind of ironic, right? Because he's going against the papal infallibility, because the corruption, but he's becoming his own pope. He's saying, this is the canon. Now, do I believe the Holy Spirit led this? Yes. But still, we don't put our faith in Scripture alone because it's divine. We believe in the literary process as well. And that's why you have to know that the Bible has human anthropology. It's not divine dictation, and it's not a book that fell from heaven. It can be examined thoroughly. So let's put these books up here. Here's the difference between the Protestant Bible and the Catholic Bible. In the Orthodox tradition, we just, they're kind of in the periphery, though. We, we let them in. They're our cousins. But, so we have 66 
to their 73, even though the New Testament is completely the same. But the way we uh, evaluate a biblical epistemology is, I think, the best framework. I come from the Methodist tradition, the Wesleyan tradition. For all you Presbyterians, whatever. <laughs> there is something called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Let's go there. How we stand on the leg of revelation, which is scripture, and how the early fathers in process created the canon, which is the 66 books or the 73 books, whatever you want to call it from the Old Testament. Tradition, reason, and experience. Anyone who says to you, the Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word, blah, 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 whatever, says that this leg doesn't exist, is drinking spoiled milk, right? Because the way you created the canon was through tradition, reason, and experience. The canonical theism in many ways, how we came to the formation of Scripture was, yes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but first there was a literary critical work done by the church fathers, which is tradition and by reason. They read through all the ancient documents, the liturgies, the creeds, and they created this canon as is. An experience. So, it's important to understand that. And so when you read scripture, and, we're, and uh, starting next year, we're going to have Gordon Fee's book, How to Read the Bible for Ard's Worth, at the bookstore. I would encourage all of us. They teach calculus in high school. How many people like calculus in high school? Grace, such a nerd. Paul, I know Paul definitely liked it. Some others, well, there are a lot of nerds here, so you probably like it. But in a basic context of the American church, most people don't know the formation of the canon at all. It's like, well, I believe by faith. No wonder so many people lose their faith. They can't reason with it and how it's formed. I would encourage you, the way you read the Bible, it's so critical to understand the way it's formed. And this is just a basic overview of that. And it's powerful to understand how much God has guided church history, the patristic period, the early church fathers, creating something like this for the sake of the world and for the mission of the church. So critical. So that's the first thing. The Bible is a literary work. That's the first thing. Second, The Bible is also what? A divinely inspired work. Like, what do we mean by that? Well, Paul says, all scripture is what? God breathed. In the beginning of Genesis 1, it says that in the beginning, God, I mean, preeminence of God is stated clearly, without origin. Creation exists outside of time, right? God exists outside of time. Creation is not eternal because we know through the Big Bang that there is a beginning. So we're living in a physical universe that's not infinite, can seem infinite when you measure it, but it's not. It's not eternal. It's outside of eternity. When it's God breathe, it means that the Holy Spirit, through guidance and showing up in history, encountered people called people. And, and Stu's been speaking on calling forever. But he has in mind the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit breathing life in creation and breathing life into us in Genesis. God breathes life into the human being, and that's when he comes alive. So the role of the Holy Spirit is minimized a lot in the church. So when you focus simply on the Word of God without the Spirit of God, what happens, we can fall into one error, which is huge, and we see it today, which is extreme fundamentalism. 
The Bible is law. And then we don't see its limitations without the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the church fathers who were the guardrails, who were the gatekeepers of that truth. So I want to go down here and, and show you what I've been addressing about the Holy Spirit. No, not yet. <laughs> don't ruin my punchline, man. The AOL stuff. <laughs> so in, in, uh, we did 2 Timothy. In, in Matthew, we read this about discouragement and depression that John the Baptist was, was struggling with. And I just want to give you a little bit of teaching on this because I think it's powerful for believers to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worth, worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Right now, if you accepted Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit lives with you. The same Spirit that guided Israel in the desert, right, as a furnace, as a fire, cloud by um, day and fire by night, that sort of hyperbolic presence now lives and is available to us. Now, the reason why John doubted Jesus being the Messiah in the end of his life was because that's what he was waiting for. He was waiting for the fire of the Holy Spirit to come on him and his and Israel. He was waiting for God to inhabit his people, but John didn't see that. Craig Keener makes that very clear in the commentary in Matthew, a renowned New Testament theologian and scholar. And here is the key scripture that I want you to read, and I want you to just think through what Jesus is saying here. What's available to you? Tell, tell someone next to you what's available to you today. What's available to you today? Watch this. We just went over this a few weeks ago. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven had been subject to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, right? Now, this is where we're going to focus on next week more about the culmination of Scripture, which is pointing always to Jesus. But prophecy in many ways stops. The culmination of prophecy stops in the incarnation of Christ. Because that's what all of the Old Testament is pointing to. That's the culmination of the hope, the prophetic spiritual hope of Israel, the Messiah in the flesh. But Jesus says, John is the greatest ever, and then dings him. He says, but yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, because the promise of the Holy Spirit comes after John. And the Holy Spirit is in you, whoever accepted Christ into their lives. And that's why when you enter depression, when you enter darkness, unlike John, who must wait until his death for Sabbath, can find it in Christ. And how I like to compare this is through the internet speeds of the Old Testament and New Testament and the covenant difference. You guys remember, I'm old, so I'm embracing that now. My son was like, Dad, you don't know about the new album? I'm like, what album? <laughs> you don't know this artist? I was watching The Hulk, and I honestly thought Megan Thee Stallion was a hyperbolic character in the, movie, in the show Hulk. <laughs> and then Josh said, Dad, you know she's an artist. I'm like, you're pulling my leg. I know I'm old. Okay. But I remember AOL. In kilowatts, 56, 36 kilowatts per second, I remember going on. I said, I was fascinated with AOL too because you could talk to people and chat. And it's really slow. How many people remember dial-up? Do you remember dial-up? It's really, really, but it was really fast when you first used it, right? And in many ways, John the Baptist's time, the Old Testament's end, and the New Covenant's beginning, the advent of the New Covenant, John the Baptist had to wait for this historic 
time period to begin. And he missed it because it wasn't part of his call. So waiting for the presence of God, waiting for God's time, waiting for the fire of the Spirit, the presence of God to inhabit people, he missed it. And that's why he doubted the way he did. But next slide. Here, I did an internet speed test at my house. This is, and my internet is pretty fast, 339. If you compare the kilowatts to this, MB, and I'm not exaggerating, I did the math. It's about a million times faster than dial-up. Actually, I gave Josh, my youngest, three years ago, a iPod Nano Mini. And there was an internet function on it. But when he tried to load Safari, it, we timed it. It took seven minutes. In many ways, the New Testament covenant, the Spirit coming in Pentecost, and those who believe in him it, are greater than John the Baptist. The power available to you, the speed in which God's provision and God's presence is available to you, it's a million times greater than the greatest prophet, the greatest man of all time. I mean, say ah, oh, what? I mean, this is this is nuts. Yet we don't tap into it very much. And that's why Jesus says to the Pharisees, to his disciples, you've all longed for this day, and you're missing it. And in many ways, believers today are missing it. Paul says in Ephesians 1, all of the heavenly blessings known to all the realms has been given to you, been poured to you through Jesus Christ. So the very work of the Spirit that inspired the Scriptures are available to you today a million times faster than it was for John. So if you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with ruminating automatic thoughts, you're struggling with the, your future, you're struggling with whatever it might be, God is a second a prayer away. Amen? That's why when we look at church history, it is amazing to see the Holy Spirit move this way. And that inspiration and that power is available to us. The same power that wrote the scriptures is available to you today. Let's stand and pray together. So the Bible is a literary work as much as it is a divinely inspired work. Today, as Jesus told the prophets, the disciples, the religious leaders, and all of Israel, all the prophets, all the teachers, long for what you see before you. Today, that presence is here. That power is here. Will you tap into that reality? The presence and power available to you today by the new covenant, by the blood purchased on the cross for you. There is no excuse for the Christian at all to be lacking in anything because you have the Word and the Spirit. And when the Word and the Spirit comes in perfect conjunction, power, exponential power is released. So will you pray with me today? Will you lift your hands for the Holy Spirit to come as we sing the Holy Spirit hymn? To be our path. To be our light.
the one that created the universe in a snap. When God said, let there be light, cares about you and available to you. come before you this afternoon we thank you that in Christ we've not only been adopted but we've been given every spiritual blessing in our inheritance the inheritance that the people of God sought out throughout their history and captivity and their pain, depression and suicide ideation and in agony and in joy. Therefore, every Christian, not fulfilling their destiny, in many ways is dishonoring the tradition of the church. Sometimes pressure isn't bad. How could we teach calculus in high school and not teach church history? The breath of God culminating in the incarnation of Christ. The Holy Spirit inspiring the patristic period. The fathers of the church guardrailing the truth of God given to us in a book. inspired by the author of the universe available for every good work 
Will you pray today sincerely? Say, Holy Spirit, will you be my light? Will you lead me to what you are calling me to do in my life? Will you lead me in the way I follow you? As we close today, think about what the presence of God meant to Israel. A pillar of fire led them through the night. A cloud led them through the day. Moses, getting to the point when he received the Ten Commandments, told God, I will not go any further if your presence doesn't come with us. Moses took the presence of God as sacred and non-negotiable to the calling in his life. David, when he committed adultery, said, Do not take the Holy Spirit away from me. Tongues of fire came on Pentecost, changed the world, turned the Roman Empire upside down. The most miraculous thing in Western civilization is taking the Vikings, the barbarians, and making them create a school like Oxford and drinking tea and wearing bow ties. That's what the gospel did in history. And it can do it again in us. If you invite the Holy Spirit to lead you in your life. Will you bow heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. Go with the Holy Spirit's presence today. Amen. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Stu Still. I'm a member here at 180 Church. We are a community joining God to restore the beauty in all things, and we're so happy to see you here for our Sunday service today. Before we get started, we have some community news for everybody, and we're going to start off with how we can give. Uh, we remind and encourage all of our members to continue to tithe faithfully and keep God at the center of everything, including your finances. You can give through any of the means listed above, Venmo, PayPal, Chase QuickPay, or Zelle. For all of our visitors here, you guys are our guests here. There's no financial obligation to be here. We're just happy to have you here with us today. But if you feel led to make an offering, you're more than welcome to do so through any of the means listed above. Next, we have all the different ways where we can connect with one another. We're going to start with Bible Reading Group, where we have just a little bit of the Bible each day on Instagram, and you can find that at 180BRG. And this is a great way in the midst of your social media binging, whether it's in the morning or at night, you can just get a little bit of God's Word in your life, and it's such a great way to keep God's Word in your life throughout the day. We also have a number of different ways where we can connect online. We have our church Facebook page at 180 Church. Dr. Sammy has his Twitter page at Dr. Sammy Kim. We have our YouTube page at 180 Church NYC, where I'm sure there are a lot of people watching our live stream today. And we have a whole bunch of different Instagram pages. As I mentioned, we have the 180 BRG Bible Reading Group. We have our church uh, Instagram at 180 Church. And we have the 180 Fellowship page, which is at 180 Fellowship. And speaking of our live streams and ways that we can connect when we're not here in the theater together, we're actually going to be having a number of remote services during the holiday season coming up. So we won't be here in the theater, but we can all join together and watch our Sunday services from the comfort of our home so that we can connect with our families, our friends, our loved ones, and still come together and worship God together. Our remote services are going to be on Thanksgiving weekend on November 27th. It's going to be on Christmas Day on uh, December 25th and on uh, New Year's Day on uh, January 1st. So we won't be here. Please don't make the trek out to here because it might be a little bit lonely, but come and join us all together online. 
Our next announcement is about another way that we can connect in small groups throughout the week. We have a number of different small groups for wherever you are and whatever stage of life you are, where we can come together and go a little bit deeper into the sermon to see where God is speaking to us and leading us directly. And this is a great place, whether you are starting your investigation of faith to get the stories of people who have been on that faith journey for, more, for a while, or whether you're just looking for a community to do life together with, we have a small group that would be great for you. Uh, we have the adult groups, which meet every Wednesday at 7.30 online. We have the young adult groups, which are meeting every Thursday at 7.30. And we have the 180 Fellowship College group, which meets every Monday in person at uh, 7.30. If you're interested in joining any one of these small groups, you can speak to me or any one of the greeters in the 180 Swag shirts. You can uh, talk with them and we'll get you plugged in. Our next announcement is about some of the resources that we have for all of our members and guests here. We have a number of different devotionals that are available at the 180 Cafe, and these have been great devotionals where a lot of people have picked them up and started their year and continued their year with just a little bit of something every single day to help keep their minds focused on, uh, on God. We have New Morning Mercies, we have Jesus Calling, we have Jesus Listens, and we will be having Dr. Sammy's book, A Holy Haunting, available at the uh, 180 Cafe and Bookstore very shortly as well. You can pick up any of these books for the prices listed above, and all of these are on an honor system, so you can just make your uh, donation, make your uh, payment through any of the online methods uh, I mentioned before. And speaking of Dr. Sammy's book, A Holy Haunting, um, this will be uh, given out at the NYU um, event that we're holding tomorrow. And uh, we're just asking for everyone to keep it in prayer that um, Dr. Sammy's book would really make a great impact for everyone there. Um, and we're also asking for everyone that pre-ordered it. Who, anybody who pre-ordered it, whether you're on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you pre-ordered it, we have a few copies that are still available today. If you pre-ordered it, you can pick up your reviewer's copy today, and you can even pick up a free Holy Haunting uh, bookmark as well, which is pretty cool. And we're just asking, as you are reading through the book, that you go on Goodreads and post a little bit about what has hit you, what has really struck you about the book, and some quotes from it, and get ready to review it when live on Amazon come April. And one other thing that um, Dr. Sammy mentioned to me, and I thought was actually a really, really clever thing, we have uh, Jeff and Nancy to think about, uh, to thank for this. Ask for it at your local library. Who would have even thought about doing that? But that's a great way to get the book out there as well. So go to your local library, ask them about the book, and when they say, oh, I've never heard of this book, say, you should get that. It's going to be a great read. So again, um, and actually, if you guys can just bow your heads with me, we're just going to pray for the book, especially for the NYU event uh, coming tomorrow, just so that um, God will move powerfully. So, Father, we lift up Dr. Sammy's book, Lord. We lift it up not so that he would receive the glory, Lord, but that you would receive the glory, that people would come to know who you are. They would come to find a new depth of knowledge of you, Lord, whether they're on the journey in faith for a long time or whether they're just beginning to understand what the holy haunting truly is. We pray, Father, that your name would be glorified, that a relationship would be begun and strengthened with you for all the people who read this book, and that this would be a powerful mission tool in order to bring more people home to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our next announcement is about our 180 merch, which you can find also at the uh, bookstore and cafe. You see a lot of people wearing the hoodies and the uh, sweatshirts and the t-shirts, and I have to say, these hoodies are awesome. They are nice, they're soft, they're cozy, and this is definitely hoodie weather. I can't talk right now. I have not had enough coffee, which you can get at the 180 Cafe. Um, and if you're interesting, interested in purchasing one, you can pick it up at the cafe. It's also on the honor system. And we realized that we hadn't been telling people exactly what the prices are, so we uh, put them right up there. Again, it's on the honor system. Whenever you get to it, you can make your payment through any of the online methods I mentioned before. And our last resource that we're going to go into is just our house of prayer and the ways that we can come together to pray. Because sometimes there are things going on in our life where we can't deal with them on our own and we don't want to deal with them on our own. But we have our prayer text line uh, at prayer at 180church.tv where you can send an email and say, hey, 
I'm going through some stuff or a friend of mine is going through some stuff or I really would love some prayer lifted up for this person that I care about, whether it's for us, our loved ones, or even some strangers. Sometimes you see a person like, man, this person looks like they could really use some prayer today. The prayer team keeps these things in confidence, but they lift it up so that we're not praying on our own, but we're praying in the context of community because where one or more are gathered, where two or more are gathered, Jesus says that he is there with us, and that includes praying together even online. And we also have our house of prayer, which meets right here at the theater at about 20 to 12, so that we can quiet ourselves before God, just get rid of all the shenanigans from the week and just be ready to receive God and hear where he's speaking to us every day. Our next announcement is about all of the ways that we can serve. We have, as I've mentioned many a times, the 180 Cafe right outside. We're always looking for more baristas to help us supply uh, the church with coffee and just create that warm, welcoming atmosphere of people coming together and sharing the stories of their week and coming together before service. We're always looking for volunteers for our children's ministry because there are so many kids and there are more coming and we could use all the help we can get against them because they're starting to outnumber us. But if you have a heart for kids and teaching them who Christ is and getting them started on that journey of faith, we would love to have you join us for that. And we're also looking for web developers. If you are a techie, if you know how to do all of that fun stuff on the computer, Dr. Sammy would love to talk to you about some of the ways that you can help with us with developing our web presence and all kinds of things to help get the church out there. And last but not least, we're always looking for green that friendly face, the first person you see that says, welcome to 180 Church. We're so happy to have you here. And so many people are here because the greeters do a phenomenal job at making people feel welcome. So if you're interested in joining with any of these different ministries, talk to me, talk to Dr. Sammy, talk to any of the greeters. We'll get you to the right person to get you plugged in. And our last announcement is going to be about the Care Package event, which is coming up tomorrow, uh, November 14th. And uh, it's going to be at 7 p.m. at uh, Kimmel uh, Fourth Floor Auditorium. And we just want to say that we did meet our $2,000 donation goal. So thank you to everybody who pitched in, everybody who donated. Let me tell you something, guys. From all of the times that we've done this, I always hear great stories about how it has affected people's lives, how just knowing that even even kind of like a weird sort of thing it's like this church is here they're giving out gift packages but they actually care about me even though they don't know me it does make a difference in people's lives and you're helping people know that they are thought of that they are seen that they are cared for and it begins that conversation of who christ is and how the gospel can reach into their lives. So we ask that you just keep this in prayer tomorrow as well. And if you're interested in helping out, if you're interested in volunteering, come on down to NYU. It's gonna be, again, at the Kimmel Building on the fourth floor at the E&L Auditorium. Those are all of our announcements for today. If I missed anything, you can always check out our website at 180church.tv.